Welcome, animal lovers, to another episode of Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem, sponsored by Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary, where each week we explore a different facet of one of the largest, nearly intact, temperate zone ecosystems on our Earth. Your hosts this week are myself, Eden Wandra, and a new member of the sanctuary, Jess Smallwood. Hey, Jess. Hey, Eden. Do you mind giving our listeners a quick introduction to who you are and what your role is at the sanctuary? Sure. Uh, My name is Jess Smallwood, and I am the education assistant here at the sanctuary. So that means that I help out with programs and all of these awesome projects that we do here, you know, hoping to educate the public, not just on our animals here, but their species and part of the ecosystem as a whole. And of course, doing awesome things like this podcast with you. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited for this podcast. I'm really looking forward to having you today uh, for this mini episode because you're actually the perfect person for this. So it's it's great timing to have you on board at the sanctuary. Uh, Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but this week is National Zookeeper Week. And most likely many of you may listen to this podcast because you are passionate about animals and therefore may want to get involved in this field in one way or another. So we have decided to talk about what it's actually like to work in the wildlife field. And Jess has done that all over the country. And like many of our other folks who have spoken on this podcast in the past, she has had experience working with animals in a variety of capacities. But we actually never take the chance to talk about what that is like specifically. So, Jess, I have some questions for you. Mm-hmm. Then we'll get to talk about our different experiences in the animal field. And at the end, we're actually going to be bringing on a few of our keepers from the Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary as well to pick their brains. Awesome. Let's do it. Cool. So, all right. My first question for you today is when people are interested in going into the wildlife field they sometimes are really intimidated because they don't know what the options are out there like where to start so to give them a picture of one example of what that is like do you mind describing what your career path has looked like so far uh well i definitely took the scenic route Um, I started off working in a wildlife sanctuary back in Pennsylvania. It was a small nonprofit, you know, very similar to what we do here. And that was my first step through the door into working with exotic species and working with wildlife in general. Mm -hmm. And that was a hugely important and formative time in my life. I had a wonderful mentor who really shaped the person that I have become as well as the path that I've taken. And part of what she imparted to me was that you don't have to pigeonhole yourself in in any one thing. Um, She had a a really diverse background. She started working with local wildlife, doing rehabilitation and got on up to working with exotics. And so that was an amazing example. Um, And it's something that I've always turned back to, you know, throughout my career. So from there, I also moved on to working with local wildlife and rehabilitation. And then over the years, you know, no matter where life took me, I was always coming back to some job working with animals. So I got experience in the medical field, working mm-hmm. as a vet tech, as well as different facilities that either, you know, like propagation facilities, training facilities, big zoos, little zoos, wow. you know, you name it. And I got to have an array of experiences. 
And there's a real benefit to that. And we can get more into that later. Um, but one of the things that I would encourage somebody to do is, you know, if you've got your your heart set on one thing in particular, then chase it, go after it. But if at any point you're like, hey, I think I might want to try working with this new species or, you know, try some other venue, you know, that kind of thing, do it because you never really know where your next big passion is going to pop up. Yeah, that's really great advice. That's literally actually how I ended up in the job I have now. My mom is a teacher and she had always wanted me to be a teacher, but I loved animals and I was so focused on the science end of it. I wanted to be a scientist and do research and that's what I did for a while until I happened to get this this random volunteering job where I was working with kids and it blew me away how much I loved working with kids. I had no idea. So that's when my whole career pivoted so that I could combine my animal work with doing education and, and sharing my passion. So now looking back over your diverse career so far, what is one thing you wish you had known in the beginning? Pretty much that I didn't have to know exactly what it is I wanted to do for the rest of my life when I was 17 years old. And that, you know, is in part, you know, the, the college process that you go, that you're going through at that age, you're, you're trying to figure everything out. And there was a lot of pressure on me back then to have, have a decision made and then a clear and concise logical plan that was going to get there. And what I would come to learn over the next 15 years <laughs> was that you can come up with as great a plan that makes every bit of sense. It is logic through and through mm -hmm. and life will just laugh at you and be like, oh honey, that's cute. Oh. You're going to go over here now. And the greatest strength that you can get out of those kinds of experiences is being able to adapt. You know, it's something I say a lot in times like that is like, okay, now we're going to step and pivot. Um, being able to roll with the punches and get yourself back on track, that is probably one of the most important things that you know, maybe if I had known or been open to it or aware that that was going to be necessary, things might have been a little bit easier. But all in all, I'm thrilled with how life has turned out. Ah, oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that's the most important life skill. And I felt the same way when I was in high school and college too, like that pressure to figure it all out and have a pathway from the beginning. But my grandma always said when you'd ask her, she always says, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And Aww. I always think of that, and I think it's an important thing to remember. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So before we get too far along, to give our listeners who might not have had any experience in the animal field a little visual here, can you walk us through what a day in the life of a keeper is like? Sure. So it all starts when your alarm clock goes off way earlier than you're ready for. And you open your eyes and you, you know, hop up, get out of bed, go take care of usually your own animals, whether it's off feeding horses or taking care of your dog, or your birds, or, you know, whatever you've got. And then getting ready to do it all day long for, for other animals that you take care of. Um, 
most of us do have our own pets and stuff like that because obviously we like their company for one reason or another. So, you know, then once you get to work, you see what kind of wild party the animals threw the night before, start cleaning that up. You They're know. all party animals. They are. They are. <laughs> and we never get invited. No, it's not fair. No, it's rather rude. But anyway, <laughs> so you're there to clean up after them. You ever get everybody all ready to start their day, feed, clean, all that kind of stuff. Um, at one facility that I worked at that specialized in training, that was that was always the morning routine. Um, morning meetings and chopping food, getting everything ready so that when all of the chores, you know, so to speak, were done, then we could really get into the fun stuff, into training sessions. Or if you have a program that day, you know, kind of your, your meat and potatoes of what you're there for. And that is just about how your day goes. And some days are better than others and some are really fun and others you can't wait to go home and cuddle with your dog and tell them about the terrible thing that happened to you. Um, and then fall right into bed and start all over again the next morning. <laughs> what are the things that motivate you to keep going the next day at the end of a hard day like that? Oh, that's a great question. Would it be trite to say that it's like, oh, it's just the love of it or something like that? Like, no, because that's the reality of it. That's like why you went in this field. It is. it is. It's a, ma a major driving force. And mm -hmm. I think what's really been interesting over the variety of experiences and skills that I've picked up is that in each and every one of them, there are certain little golden moments mm. that that's what you carry home with you yeah. and think about or tell stories of. And you're like, Mm -hmm. those destiny moments where you know like deep down this is what I'm built for mm -hmm. and so if that's like your light at the end of your tunnel if it's been a rough week or a rough day or just a bad morning you mm -hmm. know that kind of thing there's something about this line of work that does kind of regenerate your soul hopefully yeah that's uh, so true mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I totally get that yeah okay so that's like a picture of a general keeper's day, maybe what you always imagined since you were little, like if you wanted to be a keeper when you grew up, you imagined a day working with animals. But is there a topic or a specific field that you didn't even know about when you were little that you've learned about since entering the animal field and maybe now you are interested in pursuing that more? Absolutely. And I guess it's I guess it's not that I never realized it's something like it could exist, but for me, getting into working with birds and especially aviculture, anything to do with propagation was something that, that I remember the moment that I heard about it and my mm -hmm. eyes were opened up to it and that's the kind of thing where you're just like I need to know more. Right. That's what that's what I want to go and do. And cool. so, you know, so that's like something like that for me. Um, I really enjoy training. It's an amazing process. It is hard. It is a constant challenge. And 
Not a day goes by when you're training an animal, I don't care what kind it is, where you don't have those humbling moments where you could wake up that morning and be like, I'm the best animal trainer that's ever lived. (laughs) And then you go into a session and a raven shows you that, "Mm -mm, sorry, sweetie, you're not the smartest one in the room. It always blows my mind when I keep hearing how long it takes to do training as well. You have to have some serious patience. And a plan. But also, it's not enough just to think through your logical process. It's just like that that whole like life lesson where you can have it all written down and set out and be like, okay, we're going to go from point one to two to three, and then we're going A to B to C. And that animal is going to have just as much input into how that session goes. And you do have to have flexibility and creativity and sometimes just dumb luck or really good timing. And that opens you up to a whole different level of understanding, hopefully, um, that you probably didn't even realize could exist before you got there for it. Absolutely, that's so true. I actually experienced that when I was doing research with capuchins. We had started off a project studying bargaining between the two animals, trading of of different types of food depending on what they liked. Mm-hmm. And then we noticed that they were deceiving each other, they were tricking each other to get the food. And that wasn't even something we expected or knew that they could do before. So suddenly we're adding on a whole nother research project that's studying deceit in capuchins and whether or not that was actually what was happening or not. And so it opens up this this whole new world of things you weren't even expecting before. It's like rabbit hole after rabbit yeah, hole and you are along for this amazing, exciting ride. And you like when you pick your head up and take a breath, you're like, oh my God, how did we get here? <laughs> right? Absolutely. It's really cool if you're into that kind of thing, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of along these lines, what is something unique about working in the animal field that those on the outside might not be aware of? I mean, we just talked about a few of them, but are there other things like that that we're talking about now that you can think of? <laughs> There's definitely a special set of skills. Like, for instance, um, if you and the group that you work with go out and eat at a restaurant together, absolutely within the first definitely within the first few minutes, everyone around you is gonna be very aware that you all work together and that you work (laughs) with animals. Some of the funniest experiences that we all had was going out to eat and you're talking about like, what funny thing did this animal do today? And did Mm -hmm. you see this or, or specifically, and not to get too graphic, but you get really good at identifying poop (laughs) and describing it as well. Two very valuable skills that just don't, (laughs) that haven't been monetized quite yet. Mm -mm. Um, Something else that you wouldn't necessarily expect, but I guess kind of makes sense, are all of the random little biofacts that you find in your pockets after a regular day. Whether it's like, you know, a whisker from one of the cats or the, like the, the 
piece of a toenail or something like a shed nail or like mm-hmm. snake skin or bird definitely bird feathers mm-hmm. or any pine quills or porcupine quills yes mm-hmm. and you get I don't know if everybody else does this, but I definitely keep all of these little treasures, <laughs> my little my little zoo and wildlife mm-hmm. artifacts, and it's a really interesting collection. The more different species that you find yourself being around, because you can be like, oh yeah, like this is my porcupine quail, and this is this is my you know bobcat whisker, or you know something like that. All of these little treasures. Ah. Oh. We're so lucky. So when people think of our types of jobs that we have, they they probably usually think of these fun, cool, positive experiences like we're sharing right now, the funny interactions we get to have with animals. And I know that because anytime I've told people what I do for a job, they think it sounds fun and awesome. And it totally is. Uh, But I'm going to dive into the dark side a little bit here, a little bit of the reality of it. Uh, so for you, what is the hardest part about working with animals? That is that is a deep question. So there's the physical toll that it takes on your body. You know, the vast majority of things require, and if you look at any job description for any animal job, it's it there is a large physical aspect to it. One of the harder things too is that it's also just hard to get that job. You know, depend, regardless of the facility, there, there's gonna be you that wants that job, that wants to be in that space and do that work, and there's also 15 people behind you that wanna do it just as much. And so it is a highly competitive industry. And so, you know, while that's not in and of itself a bad thing, what it does, do is it creates a situation where you know maybe you know like maybe your boundaries or your needs aren't always being met it is hard to have a good work life balance and i know that's not unique to the you know to the wildlife field or anything like that everybody struggles with it but in this particular one because there's so much competition that it's hard for facilities and sometimes even just your employers to create that sense of security for you. If you've gotten the job already, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I've worked in places that did not have great environments and there's always that fear of, you know, like, well, if I don't take every single shift, if I don't do this same work and not ask for a raise or, you know, you basically sacrifice things that you need on your own as a person Mm -hmm. in order to get or keep or maintain this job, you know, that, that really doesn't set you up for success either. Mm -hmm. And I know friends of mine and, you know, people at other facilities, burnout is a big time thing and it's tragic because you have these incredibly intelligent, well-educated people that are just a wealth of knowledge. And for, you know, any number of reasons and over whatever period of time, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And if they haven't been able to or had the support to maintain that personal and work-life balance, mm-hmm. where, where else can you go? 
you know, it's, it's really hard to come back from. Yeah. So getting into and, you know, navigating the waters of this field is difficult. It's absolutely worth it. You know, like we talked about, there are so many amazing things that you get to do. It's just so important to also take care of yourself because, you know, just like they tell you on an airplane, like take care of yourself first before you take care of others. And it's hard for animal people to put themselves in that position where you get enough sleep, you eat the right food, you take a break, take a vacation, like give yourself that care instead of always giving it to the animals that you love so much. Right. I was going to say that it's just part of animal lovers nature to choose animals before themselves to they've always loved animals sometimes even more than than people so that's Mm -hmm. extra hard for folks like you it's also a nature of not just zookeeper jobs but other types of jobs in the animal field that make it hard to have a work-life balance like for example if you're working in the field oftentimes you can't just come home at the end of the day you're doing week-long or month-long field sessions uh sometimes like i was out for six months you can't possibly like keep up relationships you know it's hard to stay connected with your family during those periods of time or the organization is a nonprofit, and you know you put your whole heart into it and you don't have those benefits coming back to you because it's just not something that they they can provide so mm-hmm. it's not just in the keeper world but it's hard in all the different animal capacities for sure. And it's definitely something that I've seen, and I'm not the only one either. It's something that you do find in all different arenas, whether it's working in veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at a I was at an emergency clinic that was open 24 hours a day, and they did their best to make it so that, especially come the holiday season, when people want to spend time with their families, they want to, you know, be able to enjoy themselves and each other. They did try very hard to make it so that splitting up holidays, who's going to work, who's Mm -hmm. who's not, was as close to fair as they could get. But then throughout all the rest of the year, you still had to, you had to do overnight shifts. You had to rotate people you had to you know be able to adjust if somebody called out sick or there was too much snow and they couldn't get in and yeah I mean, it's, animals never go on a break <laughs> I know I know that's the thing so you know that is that is a big challenge so how about you what's one of the hardest things in this field it definitely depends on what's going on at the moment what's relative uh but I can think of two things one being of course the fact that you get attached to these animals you know you get to know them by name you get to know them as individuals and you love them and you work with them every day you see your their cute little faces and especially here at the sanctuary it's just a a natural part of the cycle that they're gonna pass in your time while you're working with them and of course that just that never gets easier for sure um but also I have a hard time uh, since I work in the education department more recently with my work in deciding if what I'm doing is is the right thing, if what I'm doing is really helping the animals. Like sometimes I just wish that they could talk to us <laughs> and tell us what they need and mm-hmm. what would be the best for them. Um, 
you know, of course, we're always trying to do what we think is the right thing, what is the best thing, not just for the individual, but for the species, for teaching kids about the animals um, or in the research that we're doing. But you never really know for sure. So you just have to keep moving forward. But for example, I worked for a conservation nonprofit that was helping conserve and uh, do research with primates in, in the field. And in order to study the primates, you had to see them. Uh, so we would be fouling groups of chimpanzees to be able to get close enough to study their population, how they were doing there and the dynamics of that population. But of course, if you're spending time getting closer to chimps, they are decreasing their fear in humans. And then that could potentially have a negative impact on them because they might not run away from a poacher that comes up to them. So we were counteracting that behavior by actually protecting uh, the area that they lived in. We would we would patrol the, the boundaries, actually look for poaching activity and report that. We would take down traps and protect them in a lot of other ways. But, you know, it's just always a question in the back of my mind. Are we doing more harm than good or what else can we do to to help them even more. Oh yeah, and the money part of it. There's not that much money in this field. Well, there is, but it needs to go towards a lot of things like taking care of the animals, feeding all the animals, the facilities work here, mm -hmm. the field work, whatever that may be. And so at the end of the day, you know, we're a field where you don't end up making that much money. So that's definitely something you have to consider if you're considering going into the animal world. Mm -hmm. Which is absolutely not fair because the people that do this work, especially especially zookeepers, are amazing individuals. And I don't know that I've ever known anybody that says, yes, I, I do feel like I get paid what I'm worth. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no ego in that. It's just like, your girl does a lot. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's something to consider. And even when I remember being younger and talking about that kind of stuff, I had family and, you know, older friends, adults and stuff like that that were like, well, are you going to be able to make very much? You know, that kind of stuff. You're going to have student loans at the end of this if you're, if you're working 40, 50 hours a week for $8 an hour, how are you going to pay your bills? And it's funny because, I'm, and I know I'm not the only one, but we'll take on extra jobs. There was one point where I was working three jobs and going to school full time just so that I would be able to keep doing the work that I was so passionate about. Um, and you are, you are not alone. Yeah, yeah. And it takes a toll. The effects aren't as strong when you're a young little 20-something, but as you stick around, because this is what you're made to do, you, you can't, you shouldn't have to do that as you get older. Right. You know, you have grown so much since that first, you know, that little volunteer, or that intern, or that, you know, first-year person that you should be at least close to paid what you're worth. Absolutely, you should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've we've talked about a lot of challenges here, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of a lot. I don't want to bring people down. So, uh, 
is there any advice that you can give to I, people going into this field worried about these challenges? Absolutely. And the the biggest shining light that, that I want to bring to this is just that there is endless opportunity for growth and for learning and for really contributing not just not just to you know the animals every day that you, that are in your care but also in our knowledge and understanding so the information that we are solid and pretty sure we know what we're talking about now is light years ahead of where it was 20 years ago whether you're talking about nutrition or husbandry or training or anything like that even and not to get off on another tangent, but there is amazing research being done right now, especially with Yellowstone species, like the ravens, for example. And they're finding that there are behaviors being exhibited by ravens here in the Yellowstone area that were only attributed to the higher level, the higher order animals like primates and stuff like that, like ultra high level level of intelligence and they're seeing those exact same behaviors in birds you know like so we're not going to be able to call somebody a bird brain for very much longer without it actually being a compliment <laughs> so you know there is amazing research and endless growth and it's a really exciting thing to do because just when you think you've got it figured out something else comes along and it's like hey you know this weird behavior that we never understood I think this is what it means. And if you're not excited about that, then maybe you're having a bad day or, you know, some, you know, something like that. So chase that growth. You can and be open to having a new passion find you. You know, you could start off wanting to work with large carnivores and then you're in a place and one day comes along and you're like, "Oh my god, I just had the coolest experience with this bird." or a tortoise or something in the aquarium I mean, that kind of stuff and that passion just finds you and it grabs you and you have no way of seeing it coming but just be open to it because that can take you down this whole amazing path that is such great advice jess thank you so much for sharing that and bringing back up our our positivity on the topic i appreciate that we got a little dark there for <laughs> a minute we did thanks for hanging in for those who did i just have one more question for for jess here today that i wanted to ask because you've had such a variety of different jobs could you share with our listeners a little comparison of what it's like to work in the different types of animal fields like maybe the differences between working at a sanctuary versus in a medical rehab versus in a zoo and what your experiences were like that in that so far sure um so they're each they're each unique in their own way like some things like zoo work if you're at a big facility and you are in just your department and all that kind of stuff generally your day is similar one day to another you know you've got to come in you know you've got to clean or you know you're going to feed and there's going to be little things that make each day different and you know on their own um but that's that's kind of in contrast to like working definitely working in 
ER medicine or working even in wildlife rehab, those days are pretty much colored by you have no idea <laughs> what is going to walk through the door that day. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Is it a big thing? Isn't it like, is it a little thing? And there's skills to be learned there. So I'm one that I really like a routine and that makes me feel very secure. So that was a part of zoo work that was very comforting. But I do also really like and kind of thrive on the excitement of like, oh, what was that phone call? Or somebody just walked into the rehab facility with a cardboard box. What's gonna be in that box? Is it a baby bunny? Is it a little bird? Is it a fledgling? Or is it an angry great horned owl that is just itching to pop out and grab somebody? You just never know what's gonna come through the door. And that's part of the excitement. So if you are honest with yourself and that's the kind of thing you like, go for it. But I really encourage you to challenge yourself and push yourself to try out those, those different dynamics. Because again, you know, nature favors a generalist. So if you even just have some experience working in these different environments, you're setting yourself up to be more adaptable, you know, further down the road. And that's the kind of skill that sticks with you across the years. So, and if you decide that, hey, I love the thrill of not knowing what is gonna come along, then things like emergency medicine, rehab work, field work, especially like Eden was talking about, could be a really great fit for you um, because it keeps you curious, you're paying attention to your surroundings, all of those are you know, just naturally adaptive skills. Yeah, I would just want to add from my experience another difference I've noticed from, from field work versus working in the sanctuary is the level of your relationship with the animal. Like if you really are passionate, passionate about animals as an individual and caring for them, you want to work more in a sanctuary zoo type setting versus in the field when you, you you don't get to meet those animals as an individual sometimes they they don't even have names maybe they're referred to as numbers and you're coming just from the perspective of of being curious about one specific behavior action that they are doing uh so yeah definitely you have to have that that curiosity quality to you really want to dive into the details of things if you like that kind of thing that would be really good for you and also writing don't forget if you're going to go into the field work and research you have to like writing and reading research articles that ends up being a big part of that work as well and sometimes you feel a bit isolated doing that like you're doing all this work you're finding out all these cool discoveries and that's awesome but sometimes it feels like it's just for yourself so if you're someone who wants to share all those exciting discoveries with other people then maybe you want to go into a field like what i'm doing now outdoor education environmental education help others become as passionate as you are about animals all right so jess i'm gonna wrap it up here thank you so much for answering these questions for us helping us understand your career path a little bit that was extremely interesting conversation I'm really excited now we are going to bring on two of the keepers from Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary, Mason and Izzy, and we have some questions for them. Hey guys, thank you so much for coming in here. Welcome to the podcast. 
It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to have you on here just to talk about your careers a little bit, share them with the world. I really appreciate you taking your time to do this. That's that's so awesome. Thank you so much. So for my first question, Mason, uh, can you describe what your career path has been so far leading you up to the job you have now? Um, yeah, it's not a super long career path yet, but I graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln um, with a major in fisheries and wildlife and a minor in urban forestry. Um, my first actual job was a forestry technician job, so not animal related. Um, but after that, I did some internships and work with a rehabilitation center. Uh, my job title there was actually raccoon supervisor, which I <laughs> coolest job wear probably. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I moved out here and have this job, so not super long yet. That's all right. That's a good example of one way to start off in the field. How about you, Izzy? Yeah, well, I graduated from Ohio Wesleyan University um, with a degree in zoology and a minor in English. And right after graduating, I moved to North Dakota and had my first internship at the Roosevelt Park Zoo. And I got to work with their red pandas, Fred and George, which was amazing and kind of follow around the keeper who filled in at every place within their zoo and just kind of see what it was like to work with tons of different types of animals. And then I got a fellowship at the Alaska Sea Life Center, which was super cool. I got to help with training their sea lions and um, seals. And at which point I took a little bit break from the animal field. I moved to West Yellowstone, Montana and just kind of spent a summer um, just having fun in the park and volunteering at the Grizzly and Wolf Discovery Center. And then I decided to go back into the animal field by doing a sea turtle research position at the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. From there, I knew that I wanted to come back to Montana though, so I applied here. So do either of you have any idea of what other direction or further step you might want to take in your career? Yeah, I've been thinking that about that a lot lately, actually, um, with working with Eden here. She's really inspired me to get more into the environmental education stuff. I've been really enjoying working with kids, teaching them things about animals, seeing adults learn things about animals and the environment in this region is like really great. So I'm kind of leaning towards doing more environmental education stuff. And I know I want to keep working with nonprofits, so That's I'll just awesome. see wherever that takes me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love starting off with that question because I actually get a lot of calls from moms, usually, worried about their kids because their kid wants to go into the wildlife field and they just, they want to support them, they want to help them and give them ideas, but they just don't know where to start. They don't even know what the options are out there, what type of jobs there are, but Honestly, the more you think about it, the more I get involved in this field. I'm pretty mind blown in all the different directions you can go uh, from here. So while I have the three of you here, I thought it'd be kind of fun if we could name off some of the different opportunities within the animal wildlife field that there are out there. So like, what, what are some of the jobs that you've just heard of? If we could just list some of the ones that are on the top of our head. Field researcher. I mean, animal care, obviously. You could do that one. Mm-hmm. Photography. There's all wildlife photographers. Mm-hmm. Wildlife biologists that dive more into the research. There's always the vet side of things. You can always go into regular vet medicine, um, which could lead to wildlife veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. 
there's so many different types of ecologists. You can you can st- pick any animal topic in the world from from insects to grizzly bears specifically and then dive into that work. There's always environmental education opportunities, volunteering, mm-hmm. being docents, working like what Eden does here, coordinating all our events and camps, leading tours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also rehab <laughs> and caring for animals that will be re-released. I didn't even think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely that. And one I've been hearing about more recently are environmental biologists. I'm not sure of the title exactly, but they are folks who are hired to come into places where they're about to build a new structure, building, a house, and they have to assess the area to see what wildlife is living there and evaluate how that wildlife will be impacted and if it's actually fair to build something in that area on top of their habitat or not. Yeah, that's just that's just to name a few. So definitely don't narrow your options. Keep your mind open to all the different possibilities based on based on your skills that you have. Okay, so I think one of the best parts about getting to work in the animal field are the unique close-up experiences we get to have with animals that you can't really have in any other way. Is there a story that comes to mind as I'm saying this that you want to share with the audience, either of you? I'm sure they would love to hear it. Um, one of my favorite experiences happened when I was working at the rehab facility. Um, someone had live trapped and brought in this young juvenile male fox that they thought was pestering their property. And in cases like that, a lot of the time the families of the foxes, well, they'll hang around in the area. And so we actually got to go re-release him back out to where he was found, um, We had to go at 5 a.m. because that's when they'd been seeing all the foxes. Mm -hmm. But we opened the kennel, he ran out, and this whole family of foxes came out of the woods. And they were greeting each other and yipping at each other. And it was just really special to see that moment. Yeah, an experience that comes to mind was while I was out doing sea turtle research, uh, we had to go out to an island every day. And just some of the wildlife that we would see along the way. We We saw this great white heron almost every day, uh, which is a subspecies of the great blue heron. And he was just really cool to see. And I saw a manta ray one day, and I had a really cool experience with a dung beetle and watching him twirl his poop around and (laughs) dig down and bury it. (laughs) Uh, And then also when we were doing night work, we had an armadillo that would visit us almost every night. That's awesome. And yeah, it's just cool to see all the other wildlife along the way. Nothing really beats the wild, unique, like unexpected, natural encounters that you can get when you're doing field work. That's the cool part about it. But of course, you know, now you are in the sanctuary life and that's a whole different deal of working with animals and it has its own perks too. So. I was wondering if you could share what your favorite things are about working at the Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary. The animals. I just love every single one of the 34 of them so much. And I know them so well, and I just look forward to seeing them every single day of work. Mm -hmm. They make the super hot, sweaty days and the negative 20 degree days way (laughs) worth it. Yeah, and I would say to you, Having personal relationship with them, especially some of the birds, 
Um, they really come to trust you and just kind of seeing them improve when it comes to relationship building mm-hmm. is really awesome. Yeah, watching them all improve, like our, our education raven, Remy, who mm-hmm. used to not even be able to eat on his own, is now teaching himself how to fly, mm-hmm. and he can eat on his own, and he's mm-hmm. learning new sounds every day. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Izzy, what drew you to working with the greater Yellowstone ecosystem animals? Well, as I said, when I lived in West Yellowstone, I really fell in love with Montana. Um, And I learned a lot about the animals that live here um, while volunteering there. But I also have a special love for mustelids or weasels. And there are a lot of those native to this area. So if we were ever to get in one of those animals, that would be a really awesome experience too. Let's breathe some life into that. That'd be awesome. (laughs) All right. And then Mason, same question. Um, being from Nebraska, a lot of these species aren't in that state, um, like bears, wolves, mountain lions occasionally pass through. Um, so I really wanted to get some new experience, meet some new species, um, and I've always wanted to come live out in Montana. So for people who are coming out here to Yellowstone and want to get to know the species and animals that we have out here, um, whether it's working with them or just learning more about them, what direction would you guys send them in? Come to the sanctuary and awesome. see the animals here. But in general, and trying to get into this field, it's just all about getting experience, whether that's volunteer opportunities, internships, stuff like that. Then you, once you get that experience built up, it's easier to get jobs and I would say too don't limit yourself even if you love a specific animal there might not be an easy way to get to work with that Um, but even just getting involved with other projects is a great way to go the Audubon Center does um, moth nights where you can help a local entomologist study the moths that they get in there Uh, and then I know within the National Park as well they do water bird monitoring and they do red-tailed hawk nest research. So just finding a project and getting to know people who are in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you find new projects, you discover new passions for things. Maybe you didn't know you loved moths so much and now you do love moths. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to introduce yourself. So it can be really intimidating to go up to an expert in the field, especially if you're just learning about it. But we've all been there. We were all that newbie at some point, all excited about something you don't know very much about. So go start up that conversation and they will be more than happy to talk to you and help you get further along in your path. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you all so much. I think our listeners are going to love to hear this today and uh, happy zookeeper week to you all too. Thank you. Thanks for giving us a reason to get out of the heat today. Now we have to go feed the bison. (laughs) All right. Have fun feeding the bison. Say hi to Speedy for me. We will. We'll see you next time. you have ideas about topics for future episodes questions about past episodes well you can email podcast at yellowstonewildlife.org or leave us a text or voicemail at 406-426-1210 the greater yellowstone ecosystem podcast is a product of the yellowstone wildlife sanctuary in red lodge montana our hosts today were eden wandra and jess smallwood Our theme music was written and performed by Justin Satterfield and recorded by Sean Keeney. 
For show notes and links, please visit www.yellowstoneecosystem.com. If you would like to learn more about the Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary, check out their new job opening, or find ways to support them, please visit yellowstonewildlifesanctuary.org. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem.